Truth Espresso, episode 177. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, along with my sweet, beautiful co-host and wife, Chelsea Minnick. And we are set to talk about the last part of the Passion Week, which is the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we hope that you had a wonderful resurrection day on Easter. I know it's not Easter right now, but any day is a good day to celebrate and think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So... (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready to do this with me, sweetheart? Yes, this is a great topic. (laughs) Yes, it's definitely a topic of victory, and it's the most victorious and triumphant event in all of history. And even though everything's like, it's kind of happy, there's still like kind of sad moments here seeing what people were thinking, um, how people didn't know that Jesus rose from the dead until (laughs) Jesus appeared to them and stuff. So it, it can be a little bit emotional and stuff on some of those parts. So let's start with the burial of Jesus. Babe, do you remember who who it was who begged the body of Jesus? Um, Joseph of Arimathea. (laughs) Yes, correct, sweetheart. So Joseph of Arimathea, and I know that some Bible scholars would try to figure out if Arimathea is another name for a city in Judea. Some people think, okay, well, where is this Arimathea? But... (laughs) Yeah, Arimathea, whatever that was, if it was a nickname for another city, it existed because the Bible is true. And Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy disciple of Jesus, came to Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. (laughs) Now, what's interesting about this is he came there pretty early begging for the body of Jesus. So when Joseph showed up to Pilate, Pilate is wondering, wait a minute, is Jesus already dead? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's interesting about this encounter here, this event, Mark's gospel, the shortest gospel, is the only one that actually mentions a detail that the other gospels don't have. The other ones will say Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, who eagerly waited for the kingdom of God, you know, begged Pilate, and then he, uh, he got the body of Jesus. But Mark's gospel mentions where Pilate is marveling, wait, how did did Jesus die so soon? And then, so then he asks the centurion, which, you know, that's the one who says, truly, this man was the son of God. And so he asks the centurion or he sends for the centurion to come there and tell him that Jesus is dead. And the centurion confirms. So then that's when Pilate allows Joseph custody of the body of Jesus. So then Joseph of Arimathea wrapped the body of Jesus in a clean linen cloth 
And then we also see that Nicodemus, and now if you're wondering if there's a different Nicodemus, you know, it seems like that's probably not a very common name. So this is the same Nicodemus, we're told, who also came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus comes with uh, Joseph, so that they both go to the tomb. So Joseph lays Jesus' body in the tomb, and Nicodemus, um, the one who asked Jesus at night, and Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Nicodemus brings burial spices, and it seems that Nicodemus, to place importance on handling the body of Jesus, that Nicodemus had to have some fondness for Jesus. Perhaps he was converted, a disciple of Jesus in some form. But Nicodemus also came there and brought burial spices with him. And so Joseph laid Jesus' body in the tomb. He wrapped the body in a linen cloth. He laid in the tomb and uh, rolled a stone over the entrance to seal it. And we're also told that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, followed behind, so followed the two men behind and watched Joseph wrap the body, lay it in the tomb, and they also watched Nicodemus embalm the body with expensive spices from embalming. So once the tomb was sealed with the large stone, the women sat up against the tomb. Yeah, they were likely mourning there in private. So, you know, as we're told in the Gospels, you know, where Jesus raised Jairus's daughter, if I remember correctly there, yeah. So when Jesus is on route, you know, to raise Jairus's daughter, you have the woman with the issue of blood kind of interrupt them there. He heals her. But when Jesus raised Jairus's daughter from the dead, we are told there were mourners there. And these were professional mourners. So if a normal person or whatever dies, then you can, just like we have the entourage, we have the funeral Procession. Procession. Yeah. You have the, uh, like, you have professional people who handle certain things dealing with burying the dead who will be present at a funeral. At this time, you had professional mourners. So basically, it's like, you know, you're hiring people to be among the crowd and cry over the dead. (laughs) But for Jesus, since he was officially crucified crucifixion is not you know dying of old age it's a sentence a death sentence by the government so it's a sentence given to a criminal and so it was also law in the roman empire that anyone who died as a criminal they also could not have a mourning procession and so the women here knew that jesus wasn't a criminal they knew he was innocent but they also recognized that there would be no mourning procession allowed and so they kind of had to mourn there in private as the the crowds are gone or anyone who was there for the tomb they're staying there at the tomb they're just kind of sitting on the sides of the tomb probably mourning and chatting with each other there in private isn't there some significance i was trying to look quickly at how they wrapped jesus body with the cloth but i'm not (laughs) finding it right off the bat i didn't know if you knew of that part or not i mean i'm sure there was that's something i didn't study myself but i'm sure they wrapped it in a way that would reflect the fact that joseph was a wealthy man and they're probably wrapping the body in such a way to preserve him as much as possible you know like he's getting a 
royal burial, basically. So I was thinking it had something to do with prophecy or I have to look at more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it mentions the linen, a clean linen cloth. And I remember when we did the Christmas episode where Mary wraps the baby Jesus in swaddling clothes, that it's also like cloths used for menstruation, but it's also the same type of cloth that's used for burying people. So it's kind of prophetic there as he's brought into this world with life. You know, the the wise men brings... Uh, myrrh you know for his burial and also wrapping him in burial clothes <laughs> mm. yeah <laughs> so i do know one thing that they do is they put a face cloth oh yeah on the body and when we get to that part of the timeline that's going to be mm. very significant <laughs> so i do know that part <laughs> oh yeah nice yeah that's something that i didn't really study myself so that'll be good yeah good information from you sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. So the two Marys, after they watched, they observed, first observed from a distance what Joseph and Nicodemus were doing as they laid him in the tomb and then rolled the stone. Then the two Marys left to prepare their own burial spices to bring to the tomb. Now, at this time, this was late Friday evening, and so the next day is a Saturday, which is a Sabbath, but it's also the Passover Sabbath. So there are Sabbaths during Passover week, but this is high Sabbath. So, you know, they're, if they're going to bring anything like that, they're going to have to wait till Sunday morning to bring their own burial spices. So they rested on the Sabbath day, as was the custom of the law, and then early Sunday morning, they would start to... To bring their spices to the tomb they get up early in the morning while it's still dark out and of course they saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb and at this time they probably had not you know unless they were told later on at this time they didn't see that there were guards set there but they did know that there's a big stone rolled that you know no one's gonna get in there unless someone professionally rolls that huge stone away so in some ways it's kind of like by faith that they want to bring their own burial spices and they're going to they wait for the sabbath and then they're coming really early in the morning and they're also wondering you know who's gonna let us in you know but we don't have anything that tells us that they knew about but perhaps someone told them later on that there were guards put around the tomb mm. So what happens when they come to the tomb? Oh, yeah. Well, what we have a little bit of stuff before we get there. Oh, we have man. <laughs> so we have Saturday morning during the Sabbath, you know, but the chief priests and Pharisees came to Pilate. This is early on Saturday, the Sabbath morning. And I'm thinking that Pilate's probably sick of these guys by now. <laughs> But wait, the priest can go and talk to Pilate on the Sabbath? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's not, Pilate's not going to care about the Sabbath unless I they know, do. the priest, though. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they're the ones that are supposed to be like high up. <laughs> yeah. 
well, first things first, what's important to these guys is making sure that there's no deception going to happen. So, you know, they probably figure, okay, it's early enough in the morning. No one's going to be watching us. Maybe we could justify this, that this isn't work on our part, but we'll go to Pilate. And they reminded Pilate that Jesus had said that he would rise from the dead on the third day. And so basically, you know, this is what the deceiver said he was going to do. So make sure that none of his followers try to pull one over us by stealing the body. And everyone will wonder, oh, he had many truths. He performed many miracles. But, you know, they want to make sure this is the end. And so Pilate then told him, okay, you have some guards. They're going to be sent here. The guards are there so that no one can steal the body. (laughs) And Matthew's gospel, you know, I didn't know about this until I read all four accounts, but Matthew's gospel is the only one that really mentions setting up the guards to watch the tomb. (laughs) (laughs) If we didn't have that, we we wouldn't know that there were guards around the tomb. But this is an important detail because the chief priests are like always contemplating trying to keep ahead of things trying to make sure like we want to make sure no one is deceived by jesus or tries to pull anything and you know this is the most important thing to deal with (laughs) and i think that pilot's probably rolling his eyes every time they enter like don't write this or don't you know make sure this and you know we demand this and stuff he's like he's probably sighing and thinking I can't wait till this thing is over so these guys will stop bothering me. (laughs) You're right. The significance of having guards at the (laughs) tomb there guarding it is something that helps with some of the controversy that people have even today about Mm -hmm. different theories as to, okay, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. His disciples snuck in and (laughs) took his body. But having these different passages like that we tend to overlook sometimes it's like no it says right here that they actually thought of that and didn't want that to happen so they had things in place so that couldn't happen yeah like you can't just say the disciples snuck at before the first hour of the morning and then all got together got some ropes tied it around the stone and they all did a tug of war to pull the stone away or something you know (laughs) it's like yeah they (laughs) And it makes sense. It's not, it doesn't seem like this would be some detail thrown in there to cover things. It's like, why wouldn't this happen? You know, with all the politics that these chief priests and Pharisees were engaged in, and they managed to pull off what they really wanted after, you know, plotting the arrest, you know, like getting false accusers and shouting, you know, to Pilate, you're no friend of Caesar. Like they did everything in their power to make sure that Jesus is arrested and crucified. So, you know, they wouldn't miss a minor detail about sentry work to make sure no one steals the body. (laughs) So I just thought of how did Joseph and Nicodemus roll the stone in place? (laughs) unless they had helpers or maybe rolling the stone in places easier than moving it out of the way. Yeah, because then trying to remember if the stone was in any way sealed. So that would be harder to push and roll it if there's something there sealing the entrance. But yeah, I'm sure the stone was heavy in and of itself. Joseph was a wealthy man, so he probably had some guys with him, Mm -hmm. you know, because 
he yeah. already planned. It's not like he took the body and then thought, what am I going to do with it? He, <laughs> he had already had his tomb prepared. And so he had whatever necessary guys with muscle <laughs> ready there to help seal it with the stone. But, yeah. Mm. Well, I was thinking, okay, sealing the stone too, rolling it into place. Have you ever seen like the, they're like a stick. (laughs) It looks like a stick, like a half pitchfork, but you get it under the rock and you're able to get enough leverage Mm. to roll a huge stone. Yeah. And we had that in one of the boys science books recently. And I was thinking, okay, maybe they could have just even used that Hmm. if you got enough leverage and can just kind of get the stone rolling too. Get enough dirt dug under it or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So getting it moving in in place probably is a lot easier than Hmm. moving it out of the way, which of course is the purpose. Like you don't go around moving stones out of tomb openings every day. Yeah, because this tomb was like basically you have a, like a large rock and it's like the inside is carved out of it. So this was something that only a wealthy person would ha- possess as a tomb. And of course, when you're sealing the entrance, they're going to make sure that it's sealed, you know, airtight there because that would be to prevent the body from decaying. <laughs> Weren't you watching with me a documentary not too long ago about <laughs> yeah, the, an archaeologist? The, the Talpi- yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was called, but it was about the mm-hmm. Talpiot tomb theory. Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, someone who's trying to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that we found tombs of his and, his and disciples, and somehow his name was on it. Like, oh, these are his bones, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Besides the fact that that was <laughs> not the right tomb and yeah, doesn't agree with what the Bible tells us, <laughs> it was just cool to see inside the tombs mm. and just yeah. how detailed and amazing they were. Yeah. Like those are things that you don't even see today. <laughs> it's just cool to see. Oh wow, that's you know potentially what a tomb would look like at that time. <laughs> yeah. So I think that part of it was really neat <laughs> yeah. and kind of gave you an idea of what the tomb might have looked like that Jesus was buried in (laughs) for a short time. And think of people at the time, you know, you have like stone cutters, carpenters, and so on. Like think of someone, could someone have a profession uh, involved in tomb making there, you know, because they're elaborate enough, you know, like I focus on designing tombs, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like you have today, you have the wooden coffins and stuff like that, that people design coffins coffins and stuff to like to have patterns and pictures and stuff like that on them but <laughs> so the sabbath day <laughs> was basically you know just another high sabbath day another passover nothing really eventful happened <laughs> there other than the passover <laughs> sabbath at least <laughs> in this year also. So after the chief priests, you know, get the sentry set up, then it seems like all is quiet on the Eastern front or the, you know, the, the all is quiet in the, the tomb and there's no mourners and, you know, no one sticking around the tomb. Everyone's celebrating Sabbath, but the women are preparing spices. Well, they had already prepared them. Then they rest on the Sabbath and then, first chance they get as soon as the sabbath is done they're going to get up early in the morning to bring those spices over to the tomb so i have a question for you (laughs) another um question see if i can answer this one (laughs) (laughs) so what does the sabbath represent 
well, rest, like the rest that God did on the Sabbath day, and that's what all Sabbaths were based on. Mm-hmm. But then you had the, yeah, you had the Passover, and so you have, at least with the high Sabbath, you know, on uh, Passover week, there's probably also the significance of Israel giving rest, you know, from their enemies and so on. Like, they're no longer in bondage to Pharaoh. They're not, you know, slaves to Pharaoh. They're finally free. So there's that reflection there. And so you have the exodus of people out of Egypt. And yeah. So you have the yeah, Sabbath is rest and then Passover. Mm, yeah. When like, I see the blood, I will pass over you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really cool. Yeah. If you think about, okay, on earth, mm-hmm. on the Sabbath day, people are resting mm-hmm. and remembering the Passover. And then, but one person is not resting, (laughs) and that's Jesus. He's conquering death. He preached to the spirits in prison. Yeah, he's like and got the keys. Yeah, the like as in in Revelation chapter one, where he tells John, "There I am, he who was dead and is now alive, and I have the keys to Hades and death." And so, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I just think it's cool that you know what we can see, what the people saw during that time is just like rest, peaceful. Mm. But there's something so significant going on at that time. That Jesus is conquering death and yeah. like he's not resting. He is doing <laughs> yeah. an ultimate act of hope and life for us. So I, I, don't yeah. know, I just think that's kind of cool that, you know, the meaning of what that day was. But yeah. then you have Jesus who's not seen at that time mm-hmm. actually doing the opposite of what <laughs> that day is supposed to represent because he knows what that will do for us. And out yeah. of his love for us, he committed to take that path. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. It's like, because we're not told in detail, you know, what went on during the time Jesus, the grave, we're told in First Peter chapter 3 that he preached to the spirits in prison. If we understand that correctly, he went to Hades, you know, they're also told led captivity captive that could be taking the saints to heaven. You know, there's the compartment theory there of Hades and with two compartments where you have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There's the great goal fixed, but then Jesus resurrection, he leads captivity captive. So the righteous saints in the paradise of Hades are led to heaven it's interesting also that jesus told the thief on the cross today you know the day of his death you will be with me in paradise and so i wonder you know yeah yeah. yeah. so he's with the thief in paradise and then just like okay does he tell the thief and after they're together in paradise at some point like okay i've got a task to do i'm gonna go preach the spirits in prison however we understand that you know does he tell the thief see you soon i'm gonna go do something here lead captivity captive preach the spirits in prison whatever and then i'll come back and we'll be in paradise again or I don't know, you know, it's you know, to speculate on what all went on during the three days of Jesus' death there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, Jesus was not unconscious, you know, in his being there, even though his body was dead, he was active there, you know, 
likely even on the Sabbath day. <laughs> because as Jesus said, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And so, you know, <laughs> no Pharisee's going to come to him during the time when he's dead and tell him, sorry, you can't preach the spirits in prison. This is the Sabbath day. <laughs> oh, man, that's... <laughs> that's go stretching things a little bit here but <laughs> is that crossing the fourth dimension <laughs> <laughs> breaking the fourth oh, wall yeah. no breaking the fourth wall would be if i guess some of the characters here in the bible start talking to us i guess but okay. <laughs> or talking about the story like the, the story that's written of them or something but Okay. We're in an interesting mood on this. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's fun to speculate as long as they're not dogmatic about things like yeah. you know, at twelve noon on the Sabbath, Jesus entered and talked to the spirits in prison. And you know, just to point out their different theories about that. I know one theory is that when it says by the spirit he preached to the spirits in prison, that it was just referring to the fact that the same spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, spoke through Noah to those people during the time of the ark who are now the spirits in prison. But that's one theory. Another is that he kind of like part of leading captivity captive. He preached deliverance to the captives. He preached to those who were righteous saints, like, I have conquered sin and death, and now here we go, or I'm leading captivity captive. Like, it's the same thing. There's another one that he preached judgment to the evil spirits in prison, like those died in the flood of Noah, that he's preaching to them, saying, your judgment's now sealed. You know, so there's different ideas of what that means, but. <laughs> mm. So I have this cool quote from Spurgeon. Oh, <laughs> you can get a lot of cool quotes from Spurgeon. <laughs> yeah. So he was talking about the resurrection and just the importance of it hmm. and what all it entails. And so he says, quote, he, meaning Jesus, was master over death, even when death seemed to have mastered him. He entered the grave as a captive but left it as a conqueror. <laughs> he was compassed by the bonds of death, but he could not be holden of them. Even in his sermons, he came to life. From those wrappings, he unbound himself. From the closed fastened tomb, he stepped into liberty. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> I just thought that was a cool yeah, very picture. Poetic there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking of how when he died, he was dying to how everyone else before him died mm -hmm. being held and brought down by death and then he mm -hmm. was able to be victorious over it mm -hmm. and yeah. started the new i guess part of death now that we have the hope mm -hmm. that yeah. death is not our final destination mm -hmm. yeah. and depending on if you trust christ as your savior or not you get to spend eternity with christ mm -hmm. and amen <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh. So that was just really cool to read that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org.
now as we're going to get into the resurrection. Yay, so yay. No more cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so after the Sabbath, as I mentioned, you have the women, you have Mary Magdalene, and it seems like they've added more women. The two Marys kind of got other women to go along with them to bring the spices. So you have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. You also have Salome and Joanna and possibly some other women who come to bring burial spices. So, you know, what's cool about this is women have a significance here in the most important event in all of history, you know. Because I know there's lots of you know apologetic arguments about the fact that in the Jewish culture, the testimony of a woman was not highly rated in court. And so, but you have all these women who testify and all these women who are followers of Jesus and they're central in this account of the resurrection. So they're bringing burial spices. So at this point, the women... They, along with the disciples of Jesus, are not thinking about, okay, let's get ready for the resurrection. You know, they're bringing burial spices. But this isn't because Nicodemus didn't bring enough. You know, it's because someone bringing the burial spice is also showing respect. So even though Jesus had enough with Nicodemus there, later on, even after the Sabbath day, they want to bring their own because they want to pay respects. And so, yeah, they have the faith that this is not a criminal and they want to show respects kind of at least somewhat secretly if necessary but they want to show their respects you know and not judge them as a criminal but to be dismissed and what's interesting about this is they're they're coming there early in the morning like they're starting their trek toward the tomb even when it's still dark out early on sunday morning and they're bringing burial spices and they already know that there's a large stone in front of the entrance so i think it's pretty interesting it seems like it's a a measure of faith or some form of determination there that you know because they're told on route that they're going there they're wondering you know who's going to help us you know they're bringing these spices but they're not sure how they're actually going to get them on jesus because they know the tomb is sealed and they're wondering as they're walking there who's going to help us with this (laughs) And we don't know yet if they're aware that there are even guards at the tomb, but they know, know the tomb was sealed. And now, as the women, we don't know if they saw the earthquake, but they discover, or they, at least maybe they hear an earthquake happen in the distance. And so they discover that an earthquake had happened, and when they get there, they see that the stone was rolled away. And now, <laughs> <yay>. <laughs> So they see the stone is rolled away. Now, the first instinct in their mind is not to think, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. They're just wondering, like, wait, so who came there and rolled the stone away, and what did they do with the body of Jesus? So the gospel accounts with the resurrection it can be a little bit difficult to follow, you know, like atheists will look at the details and say, this contradicts this, who first came, and was Mary Magdalene there with the other women, and see, or wasn't she, We, you know, there's contradictions, but we can piece together, we can interpolate the timeline that would make, per- and it makes perfect sense. Some of the Gospels will mention Mary Magdalene and list the other women who go there. Then it mentions 
the women entering, but Mary Magdalene wasn't with them as they entered the tomb, because we see the account where Mary Magdalene left. She ran to tell Peter and John. And so Mary Magdalene left the other women. She runs to tell Peter and John. Now, she didn't run to tell them that Jesus rose from the dead because she did not know that. She was convinced in her mind, someone stole the body of Jesus. I don't know why, you know, are they trying to do some kind of deception? Are they trying to take away our Lord so we can no longer pay respects to him? Like, what kind of political conspiracy is this? Who knows what, but someone has taken away our Lord. And so Mary Magdalene runs to go find Peter and John and tell them that someone took the body. And now the other women there came to the tomb and they came to the entrance and they kind of went in a little bit, I think, where the stone was rolled away. And then they saw an angel who told them that Jesus is risen and to go tell the other disciples. So, in the meantime, so these women get told by a shining angel that Jesus is risen, so they're all excited, and they're going to go tell. So, the angel tells them to tell the disciples and Peter, but they're not going to find Peter first. Mary Magdalene had run to tell Peter and John that someone took the body. So, then Mary Magdalene, on the way back, found Peter and John, I think Peter and John possibly were going to head toward the tomb, so she finds them possibly halfway or something like that, and she tells them basically that they've taken away my Lord, and so Peter and John start running to the tomb. And, you know, as the Gospel of John mentions, you know, that John outran Peter. And that's, that, of course, the Gospel of John's the only one that mentions that. And I wonder why, you know, who wrote the Gospel of John? And to, th- to point out that interesting tidbit there, because John's the younger disciple and Peter's like a rugged fisherman. And Peter, you know, I don't know if he does triathlons or something, but from the statement, we know that no one outruns Peter, basically, but to point out that John outran Peter, so it's like the disciple whom Jesus loved and the disciple who puts his foot in his mouth and can put his foot on the ground and run fast, too. But, (laughs) you know, we know that Peter is a fast runner, and Peter obviously was excited to find out what was going on, but John was like, I have got to get there as fast as I physically can. And so John outran Peter to get to the tomb. (laughs) I don't know if anyone has seen the memes on Facebook or social media that show from the Marvel movies, Captain Rogers and Falcon there. They're kind of exercise, they're jogging. But of course, we know that Captain America is just jogging with them at normal speed, but he could run a lot faster he wants to. So eventually, he starts running faster. <laughs> and then there's like a memes that say, John outran Peter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. <laughs> The Gospel of John details that, you know, when John arrived at the tomb and then mentions Peter catching up with him there, John looks in and then Peter behind him comes up. And then so the two of them saw that the tomb was empty and that the clothes were lying neatly. And so it says that they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) 
And so then as they go back to their house, so they're probably going to find other people to tell them, like, remember that Jesus said that he's going to do this and things look like it. You know, why would the clothes be neatly laid there? You know, (laughs) if someone's going to steal the body, why would they undress the body, fold things up and lay them neatly there? You think, (laughs) so the women, the other women there. You stole my thing about the face oh (laughs) i did oh you have some details about that sweetheart oh well you shared it oh i did okay (laughs) and i just i didn't have that in my notes i was just thinking of that you know trying to figure out like if they're gonna tell other disciples (laughs) you should have written the commentary then (laughs) yeah yeah so i was looking at the significance of the cloth that they buried jesus in (laughs) and that was the main thing that was coming up was the face covering and how that was neatly folded and actually separate from the other cloth Mm. and they said okay if someone was stealing the body Mm. then the cloth probably would have been on the body as they took it out yeah and just the face covering would have been left there just you know in a messy manner like not neatly folded (laughs) so they said okay that helps just solidify that Mm. yeah his body wasn't quickly taken out of there and that it wasn't this rash (laughs) thing of (laughs) yeah all right let me burst out of my linens and <laughs> walk yeah. out. But it was like, all right, I'm going to take the time and fold these and yeah. kind of leave that symbol of hope that, yeah, I rose from the dead. And <laughs> like, these are even neatly folded. Yeah. Like no matter how you slice at the detail, just wrapping him in a clean linen there with the face covering and stuff, that is a significant detail in every respect there. Because yeah, as I said, Peter and John, when they saw that, that convinced them because they didn't see the angel. <laughs> the angel, the, the women there who entered saw the angel who told them, he is risen. Go tell the disciples. But Peter and John believed because they saw the clothes folded. They didn't see the angel. <laughs> and so, yeah. And why would that convince them? Well, you know, if someone's going to steal the body, why you think it would be a, okay, let's quick smuggle this thing out of here. They wouldn't. And why would they care to leave the linen there? Wouldn't matter. And why would they neatly fold it? It would take too much time. Also, if the swoon theory were true, you know, how could a, a Jesus survive with his face covered for that period? And then if he still somehow, against all physical odds, were to wake up, wouldn't he just stumble out, you know, rip off his face and stumble and crawl out of the tomb? Why would he take the time? And yeah, as we talked about in the crucifixion, the excruciating pain of all those things. How could he survive that? And even if he did, after this time, you know, all the infections and stuff, why would he take the time to fold all these things neatly? His mind has to be in a state where he can do that just to fake his resurrection or just to fake his death, actually. (laughs) Well, remember last time we were talking about when they pierced (laughs) his heart and blood yeah. and water came out. Yeah. Well, that's another oh, yeah, indicator sure. that he was dead mm. yeah. because the blood and water wouldn't have mixed mm. like that if he was still yeah. breathing or alive. Yeah. So there's so <laughs> many, yeah, there's so many yeah, things and <laughs> yeah, details and evidence that what the Bible says is true. And <laughs> Jesus did die and he did raise again. Yeah. 
definitely. And just the fact that Joseph of Arimathea, <laughs> putting him in a rich man's grave as in fulfillment of prophecy too, <laughs> wrapped his body in linen. He, he decided to do that. And yet that's integral to shooting down any challenges of stealing the body or a swoon or whatever, you know, like just, it's amazing all these details like that. And it's enough to convince Peter and John that there's no other explanation, but Jesus rose from the dead. Like he said, <laughs> And so now we have uh, Peter and John leave. They go back to their houses there. And then Mary Magdalene, not to be left out in the cold here, she had told Peter and John that the body was stolen. That's what she thought. And then she goes back to the tomb more slowly. Obviously, Peter and John ran as fast as they could, saw it, believed the resurrection, and then probably ran back. (laughs) And they probably went back a different way than instead of passing, because obviously they didn't come back and see Mary Magdalene en route, or otherwise they would have told her. So they went back a different way. They headed back to their houses. So then Mary Magdalene still at this time was thinking that Jesus' body was stolen. So then she comes to the tomb and she's standing at the tomb weeping. And then eventually after weeping for a while, she like slumps over to look inside the tomb and she sees two angels there. (laughs) And the other women who saw the angels there, the angel tells her he's risen and then they get excited. Now Mary Magdalene, she's still you know convinced in her mind that someone stole my lord so she looks in she sees the two angels they're referred to as men and she's probably doesn't realize even if she did she's so engulfed in sorrow at this point that she probably doesn't even think of the fact if they're in any way manifested brightly here they ask her why she's sad and then she says that the body was removed. They've taken away my Lord. And then soon, you know, behind her, you know, Jesus asks, like, why? You know, I think she thinks it's the gardener. And so she, he asks, you know, she's so sorrowful that she doesn't recognize his voice at first. But he behind her basically asks her, like, why are you crying? And who are you looking for? And then, yeah, she's like, repeats the same thing to her. <laughs> and then I know, like, we hear lots of sermons about the one word that he says, <laughs> which changes everything for Mary Magdalene. So all he does is he says, Mary, <laughs> and that changes everything. <laughs> and then, yeah, so then she recognizes who he is. And actually, at this point, you have all this that had just transpired, but we're told in the Gospels that Mary Magdalene is the first person who actually sees Jesus, and that's significant. So Mary Magdalene was very instrumental in the start of Christianity. (laughs) Mary Magdalene is leading these women (laughs) to bring the burial spices. She seems to be the one organizing this. She seems to be the one telling the other women to come with her and bring spices. She's the one who goes to tell Peter and John when she thinks the body's stolen. Um, She's the first one that Jesus shows him his resurrected self to. So you think, you know, like Jesus saw fit to use Mary Magdalene (laughs) in the start of the truth of the most important faith, you know, in existence with the most important event in all of history. And it's a woman. 
And it's a woman that he had cast out seven demons from, <laughs> you know. So it's I think that's a pretty that's pretty significant there that you know Jesus healed her from like the worst possible experience you could have in your life and then from going from a demon possessed girl to the first person to see the resurrected lord yeah <laughs> I think it's neat too how you see God's compassion for Mary Magdalene as well mm. In this scenario, because like you mentioned, so the first encounter with the women in the tomb and there was one angel yeah. and he just... The two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Well, but Mary Magdalene was at that oh, yeah. first part yeah. of the angel. So, yeah, that's right. Mary, so Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and Salome and Joanna. And, yeah. Okay. All right. So they see one angel <laughs> and they're just told what's going on and they go their way. Okay. So Mary Magdalene, she's coming back and she's grieving mm -hmm. yeah. and very upset. Now two angels come. Yeah. So to me, that just seems like, wow, God wants to send. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how much angels comfort, but mm. just that more like security, yeah. I guess. Like, all right, there's even two angels this time. And then eventually Jesus himself reveals him to her. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this lady who is grieving and heartbroken, mm -hmm. he cares about her. He sees her. And yeah. so there's more effort into reaching out to her, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I just think that's kind of a cool <laughs> picture. And I liked what you pointed out about that too, that Jesus revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene. And just yeah. what like that special place is that Jesus has for people that he cares for people. And mm -hmm. sometimes we think that, oh, I've done too much wrong or there's no way I could be saved. But that's not who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants to reach anyone and everyone who is willing. Yeah. And that <laughs> that picture there is just a good start for, like you said, showing that Christ does reach out and saves anyone who is willing to come to him. Yeah. Oh, good thoughts there, sweetheart. And I know I, I forgot to mention about, you know, when the earthquake happened, you know, how the Matthew mentions the angel rolled away the stone and sat on it, and the guards who were around the tomb, they're like lying there unconscious. So it's interesting, you know, now you go from soldiers guarding the tomb to make sure that no one can get in to steal the body of Jesus, but now you have the angels there you know and the women see the angels then mary magdalene eventually comes and she sees the two angels there and so it's like okay the the sentries around the tomb are replaced by greeters angelic greeters there you know because it's not like oh when the women come there they see the angel and then they leave it's not like okay for a minute there there's an angel and that's it oh you missed the angel <laughs> you know it's like when mary magdalene comes there these two angels are still in the tomb you know gonna greet whoever comes in to tell them that jesus rose from the dead and so yeah it's pretty interesting they're just standing there in a tomb greeting people to tell them that jesus is not here but he's risen <laughs> And even just the picture of, I like how you pointed out, the guards were standing there to keep people out mm, of the tomb. Yeah. And then that's replaced with angels that are actually inviting people yeah. into the tomb. Yeah, to see to what see. really happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's an awesome picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they weren't there to like, okay, earthquake, let's roll the stone away and get out of here. You know, they're staying there for who knows how long, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's pretty cool. They're gre- tomb greeters. <laughs> so I think that the resurrection a lot of times becomes something that's just kind of in the back of our minds and we're like, oh yeah, the resurrection, that's really neat. <laughs> mm-hmm. But just thinking of how that is such a powerful mm. time and yeah. how that's actually the, you know, you mentioned this a few times now, it's the most important event mm. in all of history yeah. that now we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to death. When we accept Jesus Christ, we have that hope that we have eternal life with him. Mm. And yeah. I think Paul says it the best in <laughs> Philippians 3.10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. (laughs) And I just love that part. It says that I may know him. Mm -hmm. So knowing Christ in the power of his resurrection, no one else could raise themselves Mm -hmm. from the dead. I mean, disciples, you even have Elijah. There's, you know, different people throughout the Bible that God gave them the power to raise someone else from the dead. But Jesus was the only one that could actually raise himself. He was dead. He could raise himself from the dead. That is power. And that same power from the resurrection there is a power that we can actually know and be a part of when we accept Jesus Christ in when we continually seek him, you can see that throughout his word and um, just in fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is really cool and something that shouldn't be just on the back burner of our lives, but thinking of that more, like that same power that Jesus had over death, he has given to us. Mm-hmm. We can be victorious and we need to live a life that is like that. Yeah, definitely. So you are, amen. And yeah, we hope that these events, like just going through the timeline and some points there about the burial and resurrection of Christ, just brings the power of the resurrection, as the Apostle Paul says, to life. <laughs> and yeah, so it's, it's you know, as we're studying the Gospels there, it's very interesting, all the details involved. It's, you know, to see each person involved, what they're doing, what they witnessed, how things affected them, Mary Magdalene's involvement, Peter and John, the other women, the angels. It's a very... It's a very hope-filled and powerful reading to see that. And it's like, almost like when you're seeing someone approaching the tomb, it's like you just want to, you're just gripped by it and like, I can't wait till they see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then, and reading about Mary Magdalene being sorrowful that they've taken away my Lord. And it's like, I can't wait till you see this. (laughs) Yeah. And so it is powerful, and as we see then in the book of Acts, we see the disciples, you know, the Jewish elders who, you know, their politics continue because the disciples are brought into the judgment in front of the Jewish leaders, and they're telling him, have we not told you not to preach in his name? And they say, we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, If you see that, if you see what happened there, 
And you know there is, there's no going back. There's no denying it. The resurrection of Jesus happened. As the angel said, he is risen as he said. <laughs> I know Philippians chapter 2, the Carmen Christi passage is my favorite passage, but my favorite verse <laughs> outside of that is the angel saying, for he is risen as he said, I think that's just so powerful that they, you know, the angel mentions as he said, like it kind of reminds them, like he told you this was going to happen. Therefore it happened, you know, mm-hmm. because he said it, he said it, he made it happen as he said. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And so it's like the disciples there, it's like, this is what happened. This is what we must preach. You know, we can do no other. (laughs) And so no matter what happened to them, no matter all the threats, the politics (laughs) that were trying to threaten their lives for saying something that was just absolutely undeniable. And yet they're going to press on and, you know, experience suffering and death themselves because of it. And yeah, I pray God that we <laughs> likewise are willing to give our lives to get, you know, tell people and face the slings and arrows of whatever, you know, verbal or political or, you know, even physical persecution if it comes to that. Because like the disciples, we should be able to say, we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard <laughs> and read from the scriptures. And there's no, there is no denying this. The resurrection is true, period. <laughs> and if it's not true, then there is no reality. Nothing makes any sense. There is no truth. And so the resurrection is the ultimate truth. <laughs> and there's no hope without yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like really important for people nowadays because a lot of people see so many changes and things that we were familiar with are being taken away from us. So I think that the hope of salvation and what Jesus Christ can bring into your life uh, brings peace as well because that doesn't change. (laughs) And I don't know, I'm thinking that it's probably a good idea for us to even try to just read the account of the resurrection Mm. often and even with our kids too because you know we were talking about this the other night that god's word is living it's (laughs) the living word of god each time you read it there's something (laughs) new that stands out or is brought to life and i just think it's um the resurrection is so powerful that that's a good place to start is to reading that account Mm-hmm. looking at different verses that talk about it you know there's even verses like in hebrews that talk about how death has been destroyed by his resurrection mm-hmm. yeah. and i'm like <laughs> that's so awesome you just want to shout amen yeah. when you hear that death has been destroyed like it's yeah. defeated like yeah. there isn't that sense of loss mm-hmm. i mean yeah. of course there's grief yeah. from right now because you don't see some of your loved ones but mm-hmm. there's that hope that mm-hmm you know, that isn't going to be forever. Yeah. As the apostle says, we grieve not as those which have no hope, you know? And so, yeah, in first Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul mentions about explaining the resurrection. If the dead rise not, then our faith is in vain. You know, Mm. there is no hope. Yeah. So as we say, you know, the Bible gives this for a reason, because if you think about it without the resurrection of Jesus, 
<laughs> nothing matters as the possible says let us eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die you know and that's the philosophy of the world without the resurrection of jesus christ if jesus isn't who he said he was and didn't do what he said he would do and rise from the dead there is no meaning to anything at all there's no point to living there's no reason for existence there is no morality there's nothing but <laughs> <laughs> why am i here what's the point you know let me just you know it's just nothing but nihilism you know that's that's why the resurrection is so important it's everything <laughs> and so i hope that this was an encouragement to you all to think of the power of the resurrection and stay tuned for the next episode of truth espresso and god bless Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.